0: Welcome to a fresh perspective on business technology. This is Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise presented by Rising, a Wipro company. You'll hear from business and technology innovators who know how to use the latest technologies and business strategies to transform industries, and importantly, how these technologies and strategies can be shaped to your business needs in your way. Help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Thank you, lady. We don't know who you are, but we like your voice. This is Rising Evolution, the future proof enterprise. I'm Bonnie D. Happy to be back. We have a returning panel, which is the first time this season we have. And we've decided to do part two because we had such a hot topic a few weeks ago that we are repeating it. So I'm just going to say a brief welcome back to Lars Bergman. You could wave hello and Megan Butler, Megan Marie Butler to be perfectly honest and Dean Edmondson and in the background today we have Sherry and Sherry Meyer and Hannah Hale mm-hmm. is not with us today but she's one of the co-producers so I've got another one of my chat GPT I'll call it co-versed poems I created and I edited it so there's a human touch in it about what we're going to do today so everybody listen up and guess If you like it, I want to see a thumbs up. Dean, will you do that for me? Okay, Lars is on board. Megan, too. Okay, so here we go. In the rhythmic dance of circuits and apps, a tale unfolds where technology maps. Enterprise software, often the scapegoat, is blamed for issues that disrupt the boat, rock the boat. Yet the reality is a labyrinth, not a debate, where success is woven delicate chain to articulate, not just in the lines of code, but in the challenge of humans on HR bestowed. In this episode, join us on a quest to explore where su- success builds its nest. People, processes, technologies embrace a trifecta of power in the enterprise space. Wave when I call your name. Lars Bergman, there he is. Megan Marie Butler, there she is. Dean Edmondson, stand tall while they're sitting tall. Three savvy leaders, wisdom to, wisdom to enthrall. With Bonnie D, that's me as the host, the conversation takes flight. Navigating the landscape, challenges in sight. Can technology alone make you a hero, you ask? Tune in for insights. We're up to the task. Dispelling misconceptions, truths will unfold. Insights for seekers of performance, refined and bold. Efficiency, secrets in the tech landscape, find. Join our discussion, enlightening and kind. Tune in or listen or watch, however you're finding us today. The title of this episode is Organized for Success, Will Technology Alone Make You a Hero, Part 2. How'd we do on that one? Lars, it was a little long, but what'd you think? You liked it? I liked it. Did it hit all the spots. Megan, what'd you think?
2: Uh, I like the ending where it says that we need to bring technology people and organizations together.
1: There you go. Getting to the point. Dean, what'd you think? Pretty good?
3: I really liked it. It reminded me I have a lot of Christmas shopping to do. <laughs>
1: Well, today is December 5th, so you've got a little bit of time. Thank you very much. I'd like to go around the table and do introductions, but since you were on the show two weeks ago, most people, I think, around the world know who you are. So here's the deal. I have a little returning guest calculator I use for shows like this. So I did one for Lars and one for Megan and one for Dean, and I found out that you all have a similar returning guest quotient. In the world, there are approximately 14.972 people who don't remember or weren't listening. That's not too bad, right, Lars? That's that's pretty good. But, so I'd like you to repeat a shorter version of your bio. Who are you? What do you do? What's your passion for this topic? Why are you here? And welcome back. So Lars, I'm putting you on speaker view. Let's hear from you. Go.
4: Great. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Um, so here's my uh, my background. And I'm Lars Bergman, I'm the Senior Vice President of uh, EAM, Global Business Development. And my background is, uh, I come from industry. I spent 30 plus years in utilities, and oftentimes I was in operations, but I was also sponsoring or advocating for or transforming the organizations that I was in. And uh, so through trial and error, um, mostly trial, trying to minimize the error, 've uh, I've come across some sort of secret formulas for making sure that you can get transformation and change to stick in organizations so that's my background.
1: you want to give us a clue about that secret formula are you sharing that today Lars I,
4: I may I may sneak a little bit of that out but uh, hey there may be a there may be a third get together so I don't want to spend it all here
1: Okay, well, for those 14.8792 people, they will be, now there'll be fewer because more people will tell people about the secret formula, I'm there, sure of that. So go. welcome back, mm-hmm. Megan Butler, welcome back. Let's hear from you, refresh us. Who are you, what are you doing? Why are you excited about this topic, Megan?
2: Thank you, Bonnie. Um, my name is Megan Marie Butler and I'm a future of work strategist at Rising. Um, a bit about what I do, um, as always, I kind of, I'm not sure what I do all the time um it's help answer the tough questions um and be able to build things uh kind of different ideas but I think what I really enjoy and what I really bring to the table is my PhD work that's what I want to talk about my passion in this topic um I've been looking at the topic of artificial intelligence and advancing HR management practices now for I, I don't want to say how many years I've been doing my PhD for but it's been more than five sadly and um really coming to that realization that with this techno with all these new technologies coming out, um, they're doing great things. But it really is the people, um, the processes, the structures, and the culture and organizations that are either going to move us forward with technologies or not. And really, really realizing that the social processes or the social aspects of organizations are so critical, and the role leaderships play, um, and the role that we can, the things that we can do that are so simple, that can really help with adoption in organizations, make organizations more ready to be adoptive of new technologies, innovation, and ideas. And so that's what I really want to talk about bringing to the table, is um, those ideas and insights around those social aspects and what we can do in our day-to-day work to improve our adoption of new technologies.
1: Thank you very much. It all comes down to the people, doesn't it, Megan? Still still the humans, still the 100%. social. 100% absolutely can't forget that and let's go around the table one more seat to mr dean edmondson welcome back dean 14.978 people are just waiting to hear from you so go ahead your shot
3: thanks for having me back bonnie Dean. uh my name is dean edmondson i'm the vice president of business development for the americas here at rising and i've, I've been in this space for quite a while in different capacities working with software companies, working with uh, service companies and hosting companies and in all cases, why it's important to me, why I really enjoy it is I love a good Socratic discussion, I love to be able to ask why and it's not once why but it's at least three times why to figure out what the root cause of what the problem is so that we can focus on trying to fix the problem whether it's a people process or, or whatever. And that's you know that's where I landed over my career over twenty some odd years. Um, I really enjoy working with customers to figure out why they have a problem, why they want to fix it, and how do we help them get there. And um, you know that that that's the short of it. So thank you again for inviting me, and look forward to to today's discussion.
1: Thank you, Dean. And I'm intrigued with the three times why the trifecta is that another trifecta. Yeah. Trying to get to the the root cause of, of what the problem is, what needs to be fixed, why they want to do it, is that how it all shakes out?
3: It's uh, it's a little bit more simple than that. So early in my career, I worked for Sony, and Sony is is uh, obviously a Japanese company, and they they embraced Arthur Deming and total quality management, total productive management, and Arthur Deming's approach to the three whys was you're never going to get the true answer on the first why. And if you keep asking why, you're going to finally get to the root cause of why problems happen or why change needs to happen. Um, And so there's elements across the organization that you need to ask the why to and follow the why to get to the real meaning of why change needs to happen.
1: Very interesting. I remember when I was doing branding work for SAP years ago in, in marketing in various capacities and various solutions teams, uh, there was a, a mantra that when you were putting together some kind of a, a campaign or trying to brand a solution, you had to keep asking, so what? Do you remember those days? So mm. what? What is? What is it? Why should anybody care? So what? What is it going to do for someone? And that was the drill down, Dean, of trying to get to that, that root that core and it sounds like it's a a similar philosophy so thank you for sharing that we're still waiting for Laura's secret formula we'll get to that later okay now is the part of the show where i've asked you each to send me a brand new not new in lore but a brand new to the show fictional quote from a movie or a tv character or a song lyric and we're going to unpack those and relate them to our Part two topic today. Lars Bergman, you have sent a scene from Jurassic Park 1993 American sci-fi action film. I like the way they kind of try and condense. It's not, yes, sci-fi action. It doesn't say danger and horror and dinosaurs roaming, and it just compacts it there. Uh, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Richard Attenborough. This was the first installment in the Jurassic Park franchise the first film in the original Jurassic Park trilogy, set on the fictional island of Isla Nublar off Central America's Pacific coast near Costa Rica, where a wealthy businessman, John Hammond, and a team of genetic scientists, I've always wondered what that is, have created a wildlife park of de-extinct dinosaurs when industrial sabotage leads to a catastrophic shutdown of the power facilities and security precautions. A group of visitors, including Hammond's girlfriend, grandchildren, probably girlfriend there too, struggle to survive and escape the perilous island. So here are the quotes. John Hammond, played by Richard Attenborough, says, All major theme parks have delays. When they opened Disneyland in 1956, nothing worked. Dr. Ian Malcolm, played, of course, by the wonderful Jeff Goldblum, says, yeah, but John, if Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lars. <Lawrence. laughs> you expect us to take that one really seriously. What does this have to do with our topic? Lars, <laughs> go ahead.
4: Right. What could this possibly have to do with uh, with the topic today? So, you know, I, when I thought about that quote, and I thought about it often in, 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 the, in the context of process and technology programs and how to roll them out. And, you know, I'm imagining these, these pirates, uh, you know, eating the tourists, uh, you know, over, you know, I don't know how they prepare them, barbecued or otherwise, but, um, and I'm left with this really graphic image. And then, and then I stand up in front of a room of folks that uh, that are ready to receive some new process and technology. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, am I the tourist? Um, but, you got to get this right. This is serious stuff. And so, so anybody that would suggest that, well, that's too extreme. The tourists would would, uh, would are, are not threatened by the pirates. They really are. So, if if we as the technologists, if we're the folks, uh, you know, bringing change and transformation to folks, um, you know, we're the ones that have to be thinking about how to do this right, or the pirates are going to eat the tourists and. You know, we've got to find the ways to, to get this done and get it done correctly because it's very very serious change is serious business doesn't mean that a project can't be fun and that the the process of change can't be exhilarating and thrilling and everything but it's really serious stuff and uh, so that's why I love that quote there's a there's a couple of other ones in there in that movie that are related to developing lines of code and getting it right and and all that kind of stuff but there's there's a lot of good little nuggets um, in jurassic park they should have stopped with the first movie by the way in my opinion it was <laughs> so groundbreaking i don't know how you'd ever repeat the success of that but i think they're still making them they're up to like jurassic park 84 or something
1: like there you go and the key is that how do you repeat the success and the key word is success they wanted to repeat the success reaching yeah. and hoping and planning and plotting yes Thank you for the quote. Very, very interesting. I hadn't heard that one before. I don't think I ever saw Jurassic Park. Not my kind of thing. The Dinosaurs and all. I get mm. scared easily. Thank you very much. I'm moving on to Megan Marie, but we're going to use Marie today because I know you like your middle name. Megan has picked a quote from uh, Antihero, which is a pop, rock, and synth hyphen pop, synth pop song by, of course, American singer-songwriter Taylor Swift, and the lead single from her 10th studio album, Midnights, in 2022. This was, Megan, the best-selling song of 2022. She wrote the video, directed it, everything. Three incarnations of Taylor Swift reenacting one of her nightmares about her legacy and last will with actors playing her fictional sons and daughter-in-law. The single broke global and U.S. records for the biggest opening day Spotify streams for a song and reached the top 10 in 40 territories. Including number one Australia, Belgium, Canada, Croatia, and I can't even begin. Anti Taylor, anti hero made Taylor Swift the only soloist in U.S. history to debut five songs atop the chart, and the first artist to score radio number ones across the 2000s, the 2010s, and the 2020s decades. Woohoo, Taylor! Here's the quote: "It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me." Okay, Megan, take it away. Um. I did not know that much about that song.
2: Uh, that's really interesting. And congratulations to Taylor Swift. She's um, done an incredible, has had an incredible career and continues to do so. Um, but I think it was the the line in it. It's it's always made me laugh since the song came out. Because in so many situations in life, um, we want to blame the problems elsewhere. And realizing that we're mostly our own problems. And realizing in business too, a lot of the times when we look around kind of like, what's going on? We need to realize like it is our zoo it is our monkeys and and we need to take control of it um, and i don't mean that in like a mean way um but it is like and i think just like really reflecting on what lars was saying i love your quote lars that was best one yet um but that idea of like we've got we've got to get it right and as um in leadership and rolling out new technologies um we need to look at ourselves and not look at well, end users aren't using the product well there's a problem with them and no there's not a problem with the end users We need to look at ourselves and what we've rolled out and how we've done it because exactly as lars said if we're we're not taking care of the tourists we're going to scare them away and they're not going to want to come back they're not going to trust the system all those things um and so that's that's why i picked that one but i think lars embraced finding a better quote
1: (laughs) it's our it's our park it's our pirates it's our dinosaurs and it's our zoo right it's all yes it's me it's me thank you so we need to we need to manage it raise your hand it's me i'm the problem yes take responsibility accountability comes to mind thank you very much let's go to Dean's quote Dean likes Ted Lasso a lot so he has a Ted Lasso quote of course played by Jason Sudeikis speaking to Rebecca and Leslie Ted Lasso of course American sports comedy drama comedy drama gets hyphenated Dean I thought that was very interesting other genres when they combine them don't comedy drama TV series 2020 to 2022 this is the pilot Season one, episode one, aired on August 14th, 2020. Seems like so long ago. I'm not going to get into what, he, what the character was, but it was a wonderful show. And those of us like me, and I think you, Dean, rue the fact that they only wrote a three-season arc to the show. It should have gone for four or five or six or seven because we would have had more quotes. Here's the quote you picked. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Huh? You didn't put the huh in there, but I found it on the clip. Okay, Dean, what does this have to do with our topic?
3: yeah so it well it sounds really simple it it does take a lot of hard work to get whatever you want out of something but uh, stick with me here for a second the hard work is not just putting in the hours not putting in you know the time to get this done it's trying to control entropy And, and for those of you who aren't familiar with entropy it's the second law of thermodynamics all things will tend to the greatest possible disorder if you don't trust me on that put a two-year-old in a clean room with a couple hundred toys, come back in an hour, and let me know what that room looks like. That's entropy. And all things have entropy. That's just the law that we deal with on a daily basis. So hard work is controlling that. Hard work is putting SOPs in place. It's getting people aligned, getting us all involved in a common direction to get there. It's not just you know working at our computers or working at our craft. It's making sure that we're all aligned, working together and controlling chaos because chaos will happen in every process, in every organization, in every team that we build, unless we put control around it. And it takes a lot of hard work to control that chaos. And so I, I wanted to take it a step further because it's, it's not as simple as hard work. Um, and one of my professors early on in, in my college career said, Practice makes better because there's no such thing as perfection because we're always dealing with things like this. And so, I, you know, I think we always need to sit back and, and think and strive to get better at something and realize that every time we get better, something's going to pull us to unbetter it in some way. I know that's not a word, but something's going to pull it apart and we just constantly need to fight that.
1: Unbetter just became a word, and we're ascribing it to you. And uh, Lars and Megan are going to help me copyright it or trademark it or something, Dean. So, unbetter—that's yours. Would you like that? That's your gift. Okay? I do. I do. I like unbetter. See, no- nothing just goes by the board by the by the side of the road here. We we pay attention to everything. Very interesting. And Megan, I agree with you. Uh, we we had some actually three really really good quotes today. And I want to tell our viewers and our listeners that we don't get together, as far as I know, at least not with me, before the show and say, okay, here's some great quotes. Megan, which one of these three do you want? Dean, you take one and Lars. This is all done independently. And it always amazes me how when we're focusing on the topic but not with the words of the topic and the quote, this wonderful thing happens, the synchronicity, this this excitement about finding pop culture quotes that we relate to. The meaning of the topic today. So, thank you, the three of you. I appreciate it. I realize having to send me two quotes in four weeks or three weeks was really a lot of work, but I appreciate that. Okay, let's move on. You've each sent me a couple of new statements for our discussion roundtable. And I'm going to start with Lars Bergman, uh, number one statement. I put it in the chat for you, Lars. So, here's what's going to happen. I know you remember. I'm going to read this. It's short, but it packs a punch. And I'm going to ask you to unpack it for us. Then, Megan, sitting next to you virtually, Megan, I'll ask you to agree or disagree with Mr. Bergman and then Dean I'll ask you to agree or disagree with either or both okay and then Lars will give you a chance to go back to them if there's anything you want to say by that point I will have picked one of yours Megan put it in the chat for you go around agree or disagree and then one for Dean let's see how many we can cover today so the statement Lars sent me that I picked is he says I've yet to see an organization that doesn't have an overly optimistic view of their maturity and capacity for change an honest assessment derived from throughout the organization is invaluable. That's the statement and the, and the result or the impact. So, Lars, go ahead.
4: Yeah, I just, um, years and years, and, and there's, a, there's a range to this, um, overly optimistic, or um, in, in some cases, it can be downright arrogance. In some cases, it's just healthy confidence within an organization. I'd like to, I'd certainly like to see an organization have the, the healthy confidence and really an honest, um, I think I used this term the last time we were together, sort of an adult's perspective on their capacity for change. And, and to be able to assess that and constantly ask themselves as an organization, can we do the things that we're setting about to do? um are we being honest with ourselves are we being honest with the people that work um, in the organization the folks that are that are making this investment and this change Um, are we doing everything that we need And something that megan said which is and is understanding you know when change comes that we're actually going about it in a healthy way that we're not just pursuing the folks that might be resisting we're peeling that back and really understanding what is what's the reason for their resistance. It may be that the tools aren't functioning, and somebody puts them into the category which is, no, you're you're just resisting change. You just you know this is better. You know it's amazing, and you just don't want to do it because you don't like leadership or or whatever the case may be. So, um, how you actually get to that honest assessment? You can't just walk in the front door and say. What do you think of yourself? Do you, do you think you're amazing? Um, I think most senior leaders will go, of course I'm amazing. That's why I'm here. Um, you got to get to it. You got to peel it way back. You got to take it down to the grassroot level, down to the deck plate level, and really understand um, the capacity of the organization. And once you have that, then you have to continually ask yourself the question, all right, we know where we are. We know what we are as an organization. Can we do this?
1: And we do this, well put. Megan, go ahead, agree or disagree. When Lars first started,
2: I, I, there was a moment where I was hoping I could disagree with him. Um, and I, unfortunately, I can't. I have enough evidence to support that. I do agree that senior leadership in particular overestimates um, the <clears throat> capabilities of the organization and the needs of the organization, particularly um, maturity and abilities to do things like change management. Um, On the flip side of that, though, um, what we've discovered um, using the assessment tools and doing other research into maturity is that people in the organization, though, tend to have a better grasp of the reality of, of the ability of the organization to change. So sometimes if at a senior leadership level, you're not able to see that, sometimes asking people on your analytics team, you know, what do you think? Do you think we can do this? and let them have a moment of honesty, and they'll probably tell you what the real barriers are and what's gonna be resistant to change. Um, so yes, from a senior leadership perspective, I do agree that we overestimate. From a mid-level manager and individual contributory level, I would say that they they probably have a better perspective on what's realistic for the organization.
1: Thank you. Realistic is a good word in there. Dean, join us. Agree or disagree with either or both of your colleagues on the panel? Well,
3: I like all the comments. I like, yeah, and I would agree with all the comments. And I think foundationally, you know, the, the way Lars teed this up is senior managers, um, they're, they're geared to be more optimistic. And they, they tend to need to think more optimistically because they're constantly fighting the, 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 the realist pessimistic view of, You know what's going on and that doesn't provide the growth that they need so they have to think outside the box and and that's a struggle and that's probably why they invite us and other um you know valued consultants to come in and help them understand is this picture realistic is it too optimistic and then how do i phase my optimism into a very realistic approach so i I like it on multiple fronts again and and I kind of think that people are geared in that way because you have more optimists leading organizations than pessimists if I was to surmise.
1: Thank you, optimist versus pessimist. Lars, this was your conversation starter. What do you think? Anything you want to give back?
4: It was mine, but. Megan and Dean did such a better job of articulating what I was trying to articulate, <laughs> so I'm going to go with what they um, what they provided final answer. But but one of the things that that Megan pointed out, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, is is that sort of realistic uh, view is usually closest to the work. So it's when when you get down within the organization, that's where you're going to get a realistic view. I totally agree with Dean that. That, that optimism at senior leadership of course you need i mean we're we're tasked with doing new and amazing things and delivering day in and day out and boy you sure don't want a bunch of pessimists you know you don't want e running the company right you don't Oh, we can't do this and so you know when you look at that balancing act that you have to to hit you know as, as, as the two of them were talking i was thinking about all the nuances in between you know the Perfect is the enemy of good. You know, they keep like, straw. We can get better. We can get better. We can better. We can make this thing so perfect, and then it never happens. So balancing all those interests, their conversation just you know teed up in my mind. How nuanced this is at the end of the day, and it all comes down to the people and engaging them.
1: You're very gracious, Lars. That was nice. And it was it was good. That's why we do the roundtable. That's why the, the shortcut to agree or disagree in, in brief sound bites, we it brings a lot out in a very short period of time. And I appreciate that. Good, good starter. Let's move on. Megan Marie Butler, I'm looking at the new statement number two you sent me. This is interesting. You say existing socio-technical structures, and I want you to break that down and define it for us. Existing socio-technical structures can be managed to more or less adopting of new innovations and technology. One sentence, but it's packed. Go ahead and unpack it for us, Megan, go ahead.
2: I I recognize I missed a word in there as well. Um, (laughs) But anyways, the grammar is good. Um, So social technical processes, let's start with that. So those are existing things that already, um, that we already operate in, in an organization. So those are our policies, that's the culture. And if we can think about it as big C culture, the culture as senior leaderships that we hope or we want our organization to have, and little C culture being the culture, like how work actually is done in the organization day by day. It also includes things like our infrastructure for our technology, um, infrastructure for buildings or facilities, and includes the technologies that we already use, the software and the hardware, Um, processes, what else is there in there, Um, culture, um, leadership um and the technology so all of these all of these things already exist in organizations so that's how we operate day to day when new technologies or innovations come in they disrupt them um and it's then it, a lot of the time as we've, we've already been talking about um, it's the way work gets done that's being disrupted the end user that's being disrupted and we need to be thinking about that and as managers as senior leaders it's not just thinking about um, this one technology that we need to bring in but we can actually be managing our organization in a way actively to be more accepting of innovations in general and new technologies, um, compared to sometimes, I and what I noticed that is happening in a lot of organizations, they're just, it's one of those things, they're not aware that they're able to manage it, so they simply don't. So um, it just ends up being, as Dean kind of put it earlier, chaos. I actually have um, some research in my PhD notes about when we already have chaos in the organization, that it tends to create more chaos. If there isn't strong policies already established into how technology is invested in um, then each time new ideas become more about a political stance and personalities rather than understanding the process of how do we bring in a new technology into the organization to have su- successful adoption um so in this sense as senior leaders it's not just thinking about how do we do this one project but how do we actively encourage our organization to always be on a lookout for how can we do work better and then that in that sense if we're already in that looking for that better way of doing things when we do bring in new technologies or these changes they're easier for the organization to adopt them and to embrace them
1: thank you very much let's go around the table dean you're sitting next to megan on this round go ahead agree disagree
3: i agree and i'll and i i'm not um I, I'm not as deep in this topic as Megan by any stretch. So she has she brings a lot of academic experience plus professional experience that she has here. But if I if I simplify it, it's you know, adoption happens by being aware of who your user community is and making sure that they have buy-in to it. And there's a lot of ways in which we can slice that and make sure that it happens. But I think that's one of the most important things, whether you're adopting you know, a new service, you're adopting a new technology, adopting new processes. It's just understanding how, what's in it for them with them, what's in it for me, and then how does this make my job better, easier, and the company more successful? Because I, at the end of the day, I think we're all working for organizations because we want that organization to be successful and we want to be successful in the organization. So those tiebacks are important.
1: Thank you. Well said. Lars, join us.
4: Totally agree. Um, and, and there were a couple of things that that uh, resonated for me, um, you know, more than, I mean, just the, the topic itself and, and uh, Megan's deep understanding of it. I mean, one is the, the, just the environment and the cultural norms, those things that uh, when, you're, when you're not watching people, what are they actually doing? And how are they using the systems? Are they following the process? Or have they figured out a way around it? Again, back to that point, if you can be honest, they've probably found a better way to do it. And you know, so they, they're off the cow path. And they say, well, there's a shortcut right there. I, I don't need to stay on this cow path. Um, and, and then the other one is just, you know, making sure that, uh, to Dean's point, the WIFM, if, if they really understand what's in it for the organization, I, I'm always, I've always struggled with projects that just are discreet. Okay. We're going to put this thing in. We're going to stand it up. We're going to go live and man, we're going to run for the hills. Um, and when you do that, you're missing out on, on the big opportunity to then enhance it, you know, stabilize it, improve upon it because you didn't understand why you did it. Um, it's like moving into a house and saying, thank goodness we got our building permit, we're done. Um, you know, we're, we're, We can occupy the house. That's not where it starts or not, not where it ends. So I just think there's so much here to benefit from the viewpoint that uh, these projects have to continue and you really have to get the full value out of them. So good stuff.
1: Thank you very much. Megan, anything you wanna say back to the gentleman on the panel?
2: Uh, No, just really like how they continue to articulate the point. And it is, um, it can sound like social technical processes can sound um, something so academic, but in reality, what we're talking about is how work is done. And then if we're thinking about that and thinking about our end users, what's in it for me, what does the process really really look like? And as Lars really pointed out, you know, that real challenge of um, if they don't know what's going on and then they start creating workarounds, but then all of a sudden it starts violating your data data privacy policies. For example, like we really need to know what's going on and we need to um, ensure that that our, that our the community of users in our organization as, as well are well aware, well aware and bought in. So I really like the points that both of them brought to the conversation. Thank you Thank guys. Thank you
1: very much for that, Megan. And one word that Laura said popped out, I think Dean might have used it also, honesty. How do you get people to tell you what they really think about something? Why are they creating the workarounds? Was it a good idea to bring in this new technology? Was it well thought out? Was it tested? Was it baited with the right people? Because we all know there are organizations where infrastructure includes a lot of apps and a lot of things that are broken from the get-go, and nobody's asking, should we do it better? It's just the way it is. So where where does the honesty pay off? Where do you ask for it? Where do you do something once you get it? If you ever get it at all, I'm going to leave it there. But to me, there's a whole web of of consequences to looking that deeply into who brought it into the organization, who was the flag waiver, who was the one who instituted it, how well did they test it and prove it before they asked people to adopt it, right? How well was yep. that part done before you say to people, oh, change management is great. You're all going to get on board. And you're going to do this a great job with this. And we think this is going to make your job easier. People are saying, holy crap. <laughs> what? I'm just going to leave it there. I'm sure there's a movie quote for that but I don't have it. Oh, 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 I'll 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 quote Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men, you know my favorite quote. You can't handle the truth. We'll just leave it there. Okay, I'm off the hook now. Let's go to Dean. I picked your statement number two for this episode, part two of our topic. Dean, he says, this is interesting. We're gonna get into a lot of detail here. Dean says, organizational change is not easy, especially across an employee base with varied levels of experience, maturity, and perspectives. We found that open communication, clear goals involving employees in the process, offering support and training, celebrating small successes and emphasizing the benefits of change help to create a positive and adaptable organizational culture that's a mouthful dean go ahead unpack for us please yeah there's a
3: lot there's a lot in there so there's no way i'm going to dive into all of this right. so i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a little time focusing on perspectives each one of us come into problems with a different way to solve them in a different perspective because we're by nature we're we're all different i, I I think it's the Meyer Briggs model or one of those models that kind of categorize us as either either being analytical, being a driver, being an amiable or being expressive. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, if we accept those those tags, if you will, and we allow other people around to acknowledge those tags, not not out loud, but to realize the type of person or people that we are. And to drill all this down, instead of corporate change, personal change. How does personal change affect us? It's going to change, personal change is going to affect an amiable versus an analytic very differently. And it's part of the leadership's responsibility to understand how people are situated and culturally how they're different in the organization to allow them to accept and participate in that change. And so we can't, we can't just put a broad brush on change management and say, this is what OCM looks like. We have to drill down a level. And for those people that are maybe a little less receptive to change, because naturally, a little less receptive to change, but when they buy in, they buy in at 120%. We have to look for ways to get them to buy in. So when we talk about how do we celebrate and how do we get the broader team involved, Maybe some of those people that are less receptive to change are part of that piloting process so that whenever they buy in, they're buying in at a much higher level and they're helping the rest of the team understand the detail behind it. Just a a different way of thinking it through and, and uh, you know, figuring out how do we get everybody involved, not broad brush. This is how change is going to happen because at some point, the leadership team needs to encourage and make sure that everybody has bought into whatever, um, whatever we think is right for the organization. And then how do we gain endorsement across the organization
4: for the same?
1: Thank you very much. Let's move around. Agree or disagree. Lars, you're sitting next to Dean on this round. Go ahead.
4: Love it. Absolutely. Love it. Um, I I wanted to scream out, hallelujah. um, (laughs) But I'm going to contain myself, but, 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 that's it. It has to happen at that detailed granular level. When, when, when you've identified somebody that maybe is um, a, ch- a change, you know, agent. Um, and sometimes those are good and sometimes they're, they can be challenging. But if you identify somebody as a change agent, um, somebody that the people really look to and respect, and maybe they're putting up that resistance, um, you know, and you need them to come along, you can't just go to them and say, get on board or else. You, you you need to understand and really start to unpack to your use your term Bonnie uh, why it is that they're acting the way that they are and understanding their personality and their traits and their experience and their level of expertise and what they're giving up in this process maybe they're not going to be the expert anymore maybe um you know the machine is going to be the expert and you know maybe they're looking for a new job in all of this uh all of that has to be understood at that level of detail as opposed to dean's term the broad brush of changes come and get on board uh you know the don't want to let the train leave the station but that that is what this is about um it it happens at a real visceral level for employees
1: thank you megan join us um i think
2: lars and dean have made fantastic points um it was actually part of observations in my research that I've noticed over the years with with um, change, that exactly as Lars says, it's very emotional, it's very real, and um, it, it's in people's faces. And as Dean points out, mm-hmm. that if we're not really helping people understand why they're going through the change that they're going through, um, there's a lot of fear and risk. But I think Lars has made a really big point, is that there are real things happening. And I know in one project we were working on, what I identified was was exactly that was, and what Lars pointed out was they were no longer the expert. And in an organization where one of the big things that happened in the organization was in the first few months, people were expected to go out and network. And so your network was part of your value in the organization. And the software we were offering to install was going to devalue that network because that would become the expert of who to contact instead of the person. And there was real reactions from people and sitting there, observing it, you start to realize like, these reactions are very, very valid because you are taking away somebody's expertise or their, what they feel established in. If for any of us, if, if uh, you know, if we came up with a product that, you know, um, could do 90% of change management for us or could do 90% of the implementation for us, or whatever it was, we'd feel the same way um, about, and feel just as threatened. And you may not even recognize why you're feeling that threatened from a new technology or an innovation, you just know that it's gonna impede with your job. And I think it is on our side to understand what the real impact of these technologies are, particularly as we start working with more products like AI, which um, which we know are gonna have a disruptive impact to people's jobs and the way they work. Um, and we need to recognize that before we expect people just to
1: change how they do their job. Thank you very much. Dean, anything you wanna share back with your colleagues?
3: I, I think that this, you know, as, as we go through this whole process, it's definitely a one plus one equals three. And, you know, everything that Megan shared and everything that Lars shared just amplified, you know, the, the perspective that I had. The other thing that I would add is that going through this exercise, being part of this this rising evolution is a change. It's a change for, for all of us in, in each part of our day, um, and no matter which social style we are, the amiable, the driver, analytic, expressive, the expressive just loves it. The expressive wants to be here every day and wants to do all the talking. And that, that's, an, that's an easy fix for the expressive. But you do a really good job, uh, Bonnie, in making sure that all of our social styles, which we, we each bring a different one, we're prepared for today because you, you give us the opportunity to participate in it by sharing what topics we'd like to talk about you give us the opportunity to collaborate amongst ourselves to feel like we're part of a team and then you give us feedback as we go through this so this in and of itself is you know part and parcel of that and you're working across all four social styles to make sure that we're comfortable just you know running through not just but running through a change in our day to help the broader audience understand what something what what seems simple is rising evolution but it's really complex when you think about all the different topics, all the different people, all the different styles and bringing it all together. Uh, well done. Dean, are you Uh-oh. talking to me? <laughs> no, well done to all of us and you. Of oh,
1: absolutely. Well, th- that's why I developed this format over the years where we have sound bites rather than lecturing or one on one interviews. You you all are brilliant. You're all dedicated and committed to this topic and to what you all do at Rising in your professions. So why not tap into this collaborative roundtable thought process and hear what you all have to say? Sometimes you will disagree, sometimes you will agree, but I like the nuances and the flavors and especially the way I use the I came up with the idea of the pop culture quotes is to bring in something the audience will say, Oh, that was really cool. I love Jurassic Park. What in the heck is Laura's going to do with that on a show about change management? So trying to get everybody to, to be engaged and stay engaged. But I have a comment to make, and thank you, Dean, for your very kind words. I have a comment to make about all of this. I'm thinking sometimes management brings in a person who is more technologically astute or capable than people who are already in the organization. It's not a new technology. It's a person who understands and can handle the existing technology better than the people who are there. Think about that aspect of change management, right? It's a human being who knows tech better than the other people on the team. Think about the threat. Why did you hire that person? Are they going to take away my... It's We're not talking AI. We're talking a human being who gets it, maybe who is better equipped to work with this new technology, right, Megan? What, what do you do then? What do you do?
2: you did you described the first ten years of my career.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we know
4: I we get need... bullied a
2: lot. <laughs> <You knew> <laughs> <me> <laughs> and as
4: nope.
2: Dean said, the person who's there excited every day for the change, yeah, you just you get put
1: down a lot. <laughs> yeah, it can be a hey, like and bear. But it who is comes in and threatens everything and upsets that apple cart of of some kind of equilibrium. I want to sneak in. Thank you so much, Dean. I'm still blushing. I you well, can, well, can
3: I can I offer a point on yes. that? Because I think there's two sure. options. I think you can turtle up and just yeah. recoil. Yeah. And 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 ask the question why why why? Or you can embrace the new person that's there and learn as much as you can and then figure out you know what the opportunity how the opportunity presents itself for you there. And if it doesn't present itself for you there, you're going to take away some knowledge that you didn't have to some other place. And there's (laughs) nothing wrong with uh, that approach.
1: Let your resume do the walking and then see what management does with who's left, who's, who's left manning the boat. I'm thinking of just don't turtle up. Just titanic, titanic here we got dinosaurs we have turtles we, we're we're doing megan you want to contribute any amphibians to this or fish i want to see if we can sneak in we got 10 minutes left i'd like to sneak in one more statement from uh lars this was statement number two for this part two let's see if you what you want to do with this Lars says the key to effective operational change is to find a vehicle some means any means that the employees whose work is changing can hold their leadership and sponsors accountable for the success of the program. So this is flipping it, taking it back up to leadership, right? Lars, you want to unpack this briefly and let's see what Megan and Dean have to say. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I think the premise is pretty pretty straightforward. I think when you say to leadership, you need to sponsor this project, and oftentimes the projects are their ideas. So they're, they're on board with that they think their sponsorship starts, or starts and ends at the project level. Okay, I'll sponsor the team, I'll give them direction, I'll give them budget. And to me, if they can find a way to pierce through that and get to the folks where the change is happening and create that personal connection to the community of, of individuals that are changing and they, they are there to serve them, kind of a servant leadership approach, to change management, um, don't stop at the project, take it all the way down to the folks that are doing the work and create that personal relationship and accountability. And th- that goes a long way for folks because otherwise the, the boogeyman that gets created is leadership doesn't get it. They're not giving us the money the need we need, the training, the, the equipment, the materials, the whatever the case may be. Um, you can demystify all of that and create a direct connection. And I think your your opportunity for success goes way up.
1: Thank you very much. On one of my recent shows, somebody used the word blame, and I said, let's go with accountability and responsibility. I think it's a much more, might have been on the first show I did with Martin Stenzig and some other people here on Rising. Let's go around the table. Megan, agree or disagree with Lars? What do you think?
2: From the quote, I was curious what direction he was going to go in, and I wish at some <laughs> point in time we could all disagree um but unfortunately (laughs) we're we're just not we're just not going to disagree I totally agree with him um the sponsorship is much more than just you know saying some words and helping get some budget around it is a lot more about the actions and I and I totally agree it's walking the factory floor and knowing who your people are and what's really going on showing and visibly showing articulating your dedication um to the project and the organization and the people doing it um is so critical for that success and too often the you see sponsors um that that will sabotage the prob the project will hear complaints from the business and go back to the project and articulate the complaints back to them rather than going oh you know what's the problem and trying to help negotiate it so they bring problems back to the the project that they're sponsoring so yeah that sponsorship role is is absolutely critical and uh walking, walking that factory floor as drucker says um is, is absolutely essential in that in these types of spaces um in a senior senior leadership and too often you see leaders Forget that especially in a remote world.
1: Especially in a remote world and that was one of the somebody had a statement about that we didn't get to. Does anybody want to address that Dean? You want to come in here on Lars' statement and, and bring in a little something about remote? I think that might have been one of your comments. Yeah it was one of mine
3: so Go yeah, I'll, I'll weave that in as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like what is and I agree with Megan. Megan I, I disagree with
4: you just just because, <laughs> just you got to say it. We got to do this. 50 just because minutes. we're going to throw it out there. 50
1: minutes in, we finally through. got to do really 50 buy. minutes. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> but I, I like what Laura said, and it reminded me of you know my my world before this world uh, was a lot of project management, and we were always trying to create this this connection between the project shareholders and the corporate shareholders. And there should be a, a common crosswalk. It shouldn't be project shareholders on one side, corporate shareholders on the other side. There should be one common crosswalk. Project and corporate shareholders are all aligned. And I, and I agree there that there are certain MBOs and certain objectives. You can put those in place, then you let the let the shareholders go, and then they all share the results of that. How you find these shareholders? The tie back to uh, you know where people are located should be based on where the best shareholders in the world. I, you know, I think the world has changed a lot over the past 10 years. And you know, the, the point that Bonnie, uh, Bonnie D is bringing up is that I had a question in there about remote workforce and how do we leverage remote workforce? And I don't think that, you know, we should be looking for people in a specific region as much as we should be looking people with certain skills, qualities, and attributes. And those people with those skills, quality, and attributes are, become part of the team, and then they can help the team uh, participate at new levels of capability because of those experiences. And parting those experiences on to other people, as we were talking earlier, when they join the organization, let's not feel threatened. Let's learn from them. Let's let's take as much as we can and raise all the ships in the o- ocean. Uh, and I think if we take that approach and we're, you know, there are some... Some jobs where you just can't do that, you have to physically be there, but there are some jobs like in the space that we work where we have the flexibility to hire the best irrespective of location. Um, we should continue down that path and have high expectations and solid MBOs in place so that people are doing their job, they're satisfied with the work that they're doing, they, they're, the customers are happy and we're all learning together
1: satisfied with the work that they're doing. And that is so important, isn't it? Megan, in your your academic research, you must have come across that over and over again. People want to be happy at work. They want to make a contribution. They want to be positive. They want to align with people with similar values. Megan, comment, please.
2: Yeah, um, it is one of those things where the, major- the vast majority of people, we can't say all, unfortunately, there is like some weird 15%, um, But uh, the vast majority of people want to come into the workplace, want to do a good job. And it's one of those things that we see um, like with onboarding processes, right from day one, we can start to zap that out of our employees. Um, And so it's critical to make sure that we keep them engaged in the work they're doing, especially as, as we change the work that they're doing.
1: As we change the work that we're doing, and that gets to the crux of what we've been talking about today, right? Changing something, bringing in new technology, managing change. We're going to be doing something different. Are you with us? We're going to support you. We're going to train you. We're going to love you. We're going to all work toward a common goal. And then the question is, is everybody really, really on board? I'm going to look for, we have two and a half minutes left. I'd like to get a closing comment from each of you. We don't usually do this, but let's see what we can get. Lars, would you like to give us a closing comment about 45 to 58 seconds worth? And then we'll go around the table, give Megan and Dean a little chance. Dean, Dean's thinking, what am I going to say? What's Lars, go ahead. You're first.
4: Well, first off, um, thanks for the format here, Bonnie. It, it's fantastic. I, I don't want people to leave this conversation and think that this is so nuanced and it's so difficult and it's so challenging. Um, it really isn't. Uh, it, it just requires a different way of going about it. Um, you need to meet the employees where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, the change will happen. Uh, Dean brings up a great point around remote work. That that is our That's our new norm we got to figure out how to do that and do it better. There's no water cooler to get the, the feedback. And, you know, those open, honest conversations, I think personally are going to be a little bit more challenging now in this new environment. And if we think that change is over, um, no way, it's only just going to accelerate. So there's way to do, ways to do this and there's ways to do it right and to have it be uh, very beneficial and and exciting for everybody involved. So great conversation today
1: thank you I think the water cooler is social media but I'm not sure which platform and I'm not going to go naming (laughs) them but you see a lot if you look when somebody posts something about attending an event or something new happening or you'll see if you read between the lines you'll see a lot of that water cooler comment come out although uh carefully Megan final comment you get 30 seconds and Dean you got to do it fast go ahead Megan uh, just really
2: fantastic conversation today. And I think we've really left and resonated with the point is that it's up to us and the intelligence we put into our projects before we even start them,
1: not after the fact trying to deal with the change. Very well put. Mr. Edmondson, you get the last word. Go ahead. Yeah, Mike.
3: best teams. They share, they're positive, they collaborate, uh, they celebrate, and they want their their teammates to win. And I think we all have to take elements of that Put them, put them into our approach and you know, win as a team.
1: Can we introduce the word empathy and the word caring in there somewhere? Human, right? For Get sure. the human yeah, element in there. Hard. Yeah, the soft skills, man, they matter. They help a lot. I want to thank the three of you. Laura Bergman, it's wonderful to have you back. Megan Marie Butler, love the conversation about your research. You bring so much from academia into this conversation as Dean and Laura said, and Dean Edmondson, wonderful to have you. Shout out to Hannah Hale who is moving into a house today. Congratulations. And Sherry Meyer, who's with us in the background and my new engineer Vaughn from Voice America. I'm Bonnie D. And let's just say, people say the future is already here. You're going to say, no, no, no. That was yesterday's future. Or that was the sentence I just said that was in the future. And now it's in the past. We're all going to work together to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye LinkedIn. Bye Facebook.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise with Rising, a Wipro company. Rising enables you to create your business journey your way with SAP technology. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag R-I-Z-I-N-G. That's Rising with a Z. Please join us again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively evolving week.